Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Elvis Simon is a barber with 33 years experience as a salon owner and teacher of barbering in London, England. He has also founded the Quality Barbers Association, or QBA, which is involved in raising the professionalism of barbers. His colleagues include some famous names in the UK barbering and hairdressing world, such as Rudy Page, the former sales manager of Dyke and Dryden, Derek Clements, former artistic director of Splinters International, and MK, a men's stylist with Andis. He has also worked on TV and film sets. First, the 90s TV show Dance Energy, where he planned the hairstyles of DJ Normski, and then a film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Until Death, where he was responsible for the hairstyling of British actor Gary Beadle of EastEnders fame. Our conversation took place when he took a break during his short visit as he explored the potential of the Singapore market. Generally, everyone needs a haircut, and his introduction to someone thinking of becoming a barber or hairdresser is... The first thing I always say to them is, if you don't like what you're about to do, don't do it. Because... This is something that, even when you want to get out of, you can't, because people will be like, oh, I need a haircut. With the average haircut taking 45 minutes, and the nature of being a barber bringing you into intimate contact with thousands, Elvis has learned a thing or two about people. It went on for at least three or four months, and they, they were coming to the barbershop literally almost the same time. And, you know, they're, they're having the same kind of conversations. And then we as barbers looked at each other and said, no, this is too similar. <laughs> this podcast covers a lot of ground in the black barbering industry. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Do you want to just tell me your name? OK, so my name's Elvis Simon. I'm 52. I've been a barber for 33 years in between doing teaching and owning various different salons over the last uh, 20 years. So teaching? So I teach, uh, teach men's barbering and uh, hairdressing as well. So I used to teach in uh, two colleges in London. So one was called Connell and then um, a sixth form college in South London called John Ruskin. So I've done about 10 years teaching in the NVQ level and I've done a couple of years privately um, just with my own thing which is a, called QBA which is a Quality Barbers Association which we're looking to kind of expand on. Oh, can you just tell me a bit more about the QBA? Oh, basically what it is, it, we're re-educating barbers into a, an ethos in looking at how they market themselves and their clients, how, how they look after and treat their clients and 
making sure that they're current. So what a lot of barbers don't do is they don't do um, professional development, which is like going to hair shows or going to um, conferences, stuff like that, to kind of educate themselves into new machinery, new types of cuts, um, that sort of stuff. So a lot of that is missed because most of the barbers, they're very independent, very stuck in their ways. They don't like change. And we're trying to educate them so that they kind of open up their horizons to look at, you know, not just London, but other places, other cities, that sort of stuff. So it's a little association. It's, I can't remember how many members we've got at the moment. We started with about 10. So it must be around about five, 600 by now. When did you start? We started um, last year. Um, I think it was either February, February or March. Um, it's me and a customer of mine that's, oh, he's been a customer for about 20 odd years, called Rudy. He used to work with Dryken Dryden, who used to put on the black hit hair, um, black beauty and hair um, expos in um, Alexander Palace um, where else have they been they've been Alexander Palace Islington Business Centre um, can't remember where else now but they were a big outfit they've been bought out now by um, Pax and so he decided since they've been bought out that he was going to start his own thing called Hair Expo which is more niche, more to like the person who's developing their uh, skill set. So we have a, a gentleman called Derek Clements. I don't know if you've he- ever heard of him. He used to run Splinters years ago, and he now um, has an academy. So as part of the academy, he's promoting the same sort of ethos. So it's quality over um, distribution on all scales so products quality in the products quality in the cutting um also time management all that sort of stuff has been brought forward so people can understand a little bit more about their skill set rather than just treating it as a sort of you know income on the side so more of a professional type thing because with black um hairdressers and barbers they tend to sort of go from professional to in someone's bedroom and um, when they go into someone's bedroom they never come out and they never develop so they'd be doing the same thing for 20 maybe 30 years because they're not educating themselves so this is professionally educating yourself over a period of time so that professional education would cover how to create a business run a business yeah so everything from business management timekeeping um, appointment systems looking at going into your own products, making your own products, how to market your own products. So all of that is covered. So it's not just uh, about um, the individual going and and reskilling. It's about them becoming a marketable product themselves. And a business person or or an entrepreneur? Yeah, I'd say an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. I'd I'd like to say that they're they're more marketable. But yeah, an entrepreneur would be the the correct terminology because... yeah, they're now thinking outside the box. They're now thinking how to make more money at doing something that they enjoy doing. Because obviously most of us barbers and hairdressers, we do it because we enjoy it. Um, we're creative, so that's why we do it. 
and uh, the end result is what people come back for. So you want to be able to keep the momentum of that while still maintaining a certain lifestyle. So what were you doing before you became a barber or you had the idea to become a barber? Um, I, I became a barber by accident. Um, I used to cut a friend of mine's hair and um, it was all right. You know, he got by. And then uh, my cousins were going on holiday. So my auntie said to me, oh, you know, give them a haircut. I've seen how you cut your friend's hair. I messed up. So I thought, okay, since I messed up, I'm going to go and get this certificate, get it done properly, and then come back. So <laughs> I went, I trained, um, just to prove a point, and then came back and cut their hair again, which she let me cut their hair this time. They were 16 at the time now. And, um, yeah, she was, you know, impressed. She said, well, you need to really now get yourself into a, into a shop. So I got into my first shop where I was working with some uh, elderly barbers. That, well, I don't mean elderly, as in they were older than me. I was the youngest person in there at 21, and they were sort of mid to late 50s. So I, I watched them, picked up a load of tips on how to do the traditional stuff. And um, I was at that time, I was more creative. I was doing patterns and all sorts of colouring because I'd just come straight out of college so you know I was doing everything that I was taught at college and more and uh, still taking on what these traditional guys were doing as well so combining the two um, then from there I just thought it was time to move on so I opened my own shop with a business partner of mine which was the first shop was in Craven Park in Harleston um, called Diamond Cats uh, seven barber chairs in there smallish type shop um, what year was that? 1996 I think that was and um, within the first two years we set up three more and we had so we had Wilsdon we had Blackbird Hill so we had two in Blackbird Hill one in Wilston, and then the last one was in on the Harrow Road, Westbourne Park. So we had four all together, and that went on for the best part of about 15, 16 years. And he moved to Thailand. Um, <laughs> and when, when he moved to Thailand, I thought, well, well I'm going to go into teaching. So I taught for the last 10 years. And now I'm sort of just up and down trying to find my feet again to see what else I can do, see what I can, whatever ventures I could go into. That's why I'm in Singapore. So I'm looking to see if there's a market. When I was growing up, uh, hairstyles were very basic. I mean, it was either a, an afro <laughs> or a, a low cut. Yeah. Uh, and, and now, I mean, I, I look through magazines and I'm seeing fades and I'm seeing fro uh what's it fade froze and i'm oh, seeing all sorts like of taper fade and stuff yeah like. I, mean, I mean well <laughs> the thing is um right so we, we when we go through the years so 60s and 70s would have been your afros and back then you had taper fades but because the machinery wasn't as good as it is now you weren't getting that sort of skin fade tapered into the side and then coming up and 
getting your nice round throw. The machines have, have come a long way since then. We've gone cordless now. So there's cordless machines, there's USB machines now. Um, they're more powerful than the, the older ones and uh, it allows you to be more creative. So the, the styles haven't changed that much. I mean, I looked at some footage. Yeah, I'm seeing like uh, 3D fades and like yeah, with but, circular fades. I, mean, I, but, I would never have seen that, you know. Yes. In, <laughs> in, right. So as I was going to say, in Rwanda, there's uh, a tribe that they have all these haircuts. Oh. And I, I, I did a, a little bit of research and, you know, some of these haircuts go back hundreds of years. Yeah. And, they, you know, they've got like, if you remember the, the Bobby Brown. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they've got like a, a Bobby Brown type thing going on with like sort of tram lines cut in. I don't know what they used to, to do it, but, you know, we haven't even gone that far. I mean, the, the, if you look at those styles, no one's really doing them, probably because they wouldn't have a job if they did. And um, those are sort of one off. They're not like everyday sort of styles, but out there they are they're, they're tribal styles a lot of people here use their um hair to identify themselves so um i suppose it's it's that it's the same sort of thing but more modern so we've had to be a lot more discreet in how we make ourselves present so yeah. we, we use a lot more color now um the industry's changed where they're using enhancements. So we're using sprays, we're using mascara to, to you know, put on hairlines, we're tattooing hairlines on. So we've come a long way, but it, it still looks the same. Yeah. It's, it's interesting it's that um, we're using hair to identify ourselves because uh, that sort of leads into branding. From what I see with certain sports stars, Hair is very important, particularly in, say, football. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen headlines where certain footballers have been mentioned, they change their hairstyles regularly. Yeah. Is that a deliberate thing, or is it just because they're bored, or is it a way of attracting attention? Is that... All right, um, let's look at... We'll take a classic, Paul uh, Pogba. Well, I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, his hairstyle changes on a regular basis. I mean, before that... You had the Liverpool um, centre forward Cisse. Yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah. yeah. Uh, his wife used to do his hair. Oh. So she was a hairdresser. Yeah. So she used to do all the, the, the blonde stuff that he used to have in his hair. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good way of, of, of standing out because remember, footballers, they all wear the same uniform. Only thing that um, separates them is the number on their back and maybe their name. But if you're not that close to see the number on their back and you could see their head, you're going to see their hairstyle. So it's a good um, way of identifying yourself in a, in a crowd. Um, definitely, without a doubt, it's a statement for a lot of footballers. So the better you are, the more outlandish your hairstyle is. I mean, you, you could look at uh, Arsenal's Gwendouzi, this long, curly, 1970s, almost Graham Souness look that he's got. But I think it's brilliant. <laughs> because the, you know he's got a big head of hair and he could go like everybody else but he chooses to have that big head of hair and you know that's his everybody knows that's Gwen Doozy. they see him you know there's no mistake so yeah hair is very it's very individual it's very much a statement for the individual person so it all depends on 
the environment that you're in as well. I mean, you couldn't work in an office and have um, a Cisse or, or, or um, a Pogba haircut because I don't think it would work personally. You'd stand out too much. Footballers, athletes get away with it easy. Here in Singapore, there's a, a marketer who has a, a mohawk. Okay. And he's very well known um, for his mohawk and it makes him stand out. So when you say you wouldn't have it in an office, uh, could you see in the, maybe in the future, is it possible that more people will go down that road? Um, say the millennials, you know, they, they seem to be a bit more... Yeah, they, they tend to have a lot more rights than we did. Yeah. So yeah, they'd probably get away with it on the grounds that it's their freedom to express themselves. Whereas with us, we were lucky to have the job in the first place. So we're not going to push those borders. Um, a couple of cases in America where they sort of ruled out having dreadlocks in the office and in schools, and they've had to retract that now. So, yeah, I could possibly see that happening. You know, it's all down to the individual and the way they carry themselves. I mean, yes, it, one, it is a statement. You are being judged before, you know, anyone even gets to hear what you've got to say because they can, big old mo- mohawk, they can see you coming. So, yeah, you have to be quite uh, out there. On, on what grounds were the dreadlocks initially banned? Um, I, can't, I don't remember the whole story, but they did say that it, was, um, it wasn't culturally appropriate or something like that. Yeah. Even in London, there was a, a boy that went to a Catholic school, I think it was, joined the Catholic school and was told that he had to cut his dreadlocks. Um, they initially said at first that the dreadlocks were all right, and then um, they changed their mind. His mum, I think, she won that appeal um, again, because, like you said, the millenniums are a lot more um, outspoken than we were. So us as 60s and 70s kids, we, we don't have a voice like these uh, millenniums. They definitely can really... You know, fight their case. We were, like I say, we were lucky to be in school, <laughs> much yeah. less. You're here in Singapore. What gave you the idea to look at what was happening in Singapore? Okay, so my friend Sharon, who I've known since I was about five years old, um, she's been out here like 10 years, and she's always saying, oh, you should come over, you should come over, you should come over, there's a market. and I didn't think there was so she invited me over a couple of weeks ago and uh, I decided yeah I'll jump on a plane and see what it's about I haven't had a chance to see anything yet because you, you I, arrived I got, yeah I got in yesterday yeah. I know it was a bit delayed so I got in quite late so I've not been anywhere yet I've um, done a cut already I'm going to pop out and then come back and do some more work uh, so hopefully I'll get to see what it's like um, in between my cutting and who knows? How long do you plan to be here? Um, I leave Saturday, so I'm only really here for a week. So I'll get back to London Sunday. Yeah, it's, yeah, definitely Sunday. <laughs> and if it's successful, when do you think you'll be back out? Um, just after Christmas. As if, if it all being well, I, I think what I'd like to do is come out here every month, sort of month to six weeks, and build up a clientele um, that way round, and then 
probably look to open somewhere if it's possible. It depends on the, the, the local laws because um, different countries have different laws. So I don't know if I'd be able, allowed to open a shop or go into a partnership with someone and work something then and maybe um, come out here for a bit, have a couple of barbers come out here so people can get that London experience without having to fly to London. We'll fly to you. During my time in China, um, I was aware of uh, sort of hairdressers flying out from Europe into Shanghai, Beijing, uh, and other parts of Asia, and they did a similar thing. But you're the first black barber wow. <laughs> that I've known that has, has decided to do that. Wow. Yeah. Um, that well, I'm aware of. There may, there may be somebody else out there. It's worth a try. Yeah. I mean, anywhere we are, we, we're going to require a haircut. Yeah. You know, although you and I don't need one, but yeah. most of us do. So, yeah. And, um, you know, London, London's market, saturated. Okay. I think that's, the, you know, the best way to put it. There's so much competition there. And, um, you know, there's, there's more people around the world that could do with the services. Why not go and see what else you can yeah. do rather than be stuck in one place where it's now cold and getting colder so this is a good escape it's what 34 today yeah it doesn't yeah. look it yeah. <laughs> i'm sweating yeah so yeah I'm, I'm happy for the heat so yeah I, I will definitely try to make it out here at least once a month and what i find interesting about you is the fact that you have been teaching um barbering yeah i i did mm. that again as an accident um yeah. <laughs> someone asked me if I'd uh, come along and um, show some people how to cut hair. Uh, six weeks later, I was enrolled into <laughs> the college teaching NVQ level two and three barbering. I don't know how that happened. Even now, I, I look back on it and I'm thinking, well, I don't know how I got into that. Yeah. It just Someone said, can you do me a favor? Can you just come and see this person? And then I started teaching. Um, I was at Tottenham College with... Um, a guy called MK who works for Andis, really good barber. He's got his own academy. Um, he's, I think he's been here. Um, he's been, he's definitely been China. He's been uh, Japan. He's been all over the world, and representing Andis. So we've we've worked together for three years. He wanted me to work with him for his academy. Uh, again, I like England, but it's cold. Yeah. So anywhere where it's warm, I think I think I can, you know, That's go with. Definite here in Singapore. Yeah, it's definitely warm. I like warm. Yeah. I definitely like warm. I can't do cold. So do you have plans for the rest of Asia? Um, I just take it as it comes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these things never, I never plan for anything to happen. They just happen, <laughs> you know, so I... I take the opportunity as it comes. So if someone said to me, oh, well, try Malaysia, I'll give it a try. It can either work or it won't work. You know, you, you won't, you know, they say nothing ventured, nothing gained. What I found during my time in China were that opportunities turned up when you didn't expect. Yeah. And, you know, even if you <coughs> walked away from what you thought was an opportunity, uh, something else would occur. And, you know, so you don't have to follow a prescribed route when you move out to Asia because it's like the blue ocean 
type environment. Okay, so anywhere you go, there's there's an opportunity. Yeah, something will tends to turn up, you know, because mm. like you're saying in London, it's saturated. Yeah, definitely. So you're going where it's not saturated, and you can find that the skills that you've learned um, mm. in one area can be transferred to a different area. Yeah. So you, you've you've obviously got teaching business skills, uh, how to run a business. So even yeah. there, you know, even you see, if now you saying that, uh, you know, my resume, <laughs> you filled my resume for me. Yeah. I, I don't look on it that way. Yeah. I just look on it like um, last year I did uh, scalp micropigmentation. So what is why is that? That's where um, you replace the hair follicles with tattoos. Oh. So you use a pigment and then you tattoo back the hair follicle. So you can give a natural hairline or you can give like a barbershop hairline. And it looks like you have like a blade zero all over your head, but very neat, you know, well-groomed look. And um, that's popular. I thought I'd jump on that as well, just, yeah. to, just to see, who knows. Um, so I have a little studio in London where I do that. Um, it's getting more and more, like I said, more and more popular as a lot of people are trying to hold on to their age. So the first thing, when your hairline starts going, you start to look older straight away. So it's either you take it off to look younger or you replace it. So this is the next best thing to sort of a hair transplant. It's permanent, it um, doesn't fade, and um, it's not that painful. So it's less painful than a hair transplant. And like I said, it lasts you know, a lifetime, which is pretty good. Tell me a little bit about the barbershop culture. In, in the UK uh, and around the world, in the West Indies, I mean, I've been to Uganda and it was very similar. There's a culture around the barbershop, the black barbershop. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the village, the village, um, the, the village town hall, really. Um, yeah, everything and, and anything goes with uh, the barbershop I don't know if it's a good thing because um, in some cases it, it creates quite a lot of uh, negative press because uh, you know first thing that happens oh it was in the barbershop first or um, it could go the other way where the NHS now are trying to involve themselves into getting barbers to um, spot mental health issues um, to look at high blood pressure to look at um prostate so we have a, a gentleman that comes into our shop um roughly every six weeks to talk about prostate and his own experience with prostate which like you said the culture of the barber shop is you you wouldn't get this in nhs you wouldn't get it in um even prostate awareness I mean, this guy, he comes in and he tells you his experience. And it's quite graphic. You know, he jokes about it now because he's, he's got through that stage. But every time he comes, at least three or four people go and get checked, which is good because it raises awareness. And that's something that we do ourselves. That's not, um, we're, we've not funded for it or anything like that. We just have... This man come in and, you know, he'll talk to an audience because the barbershop has that kind of vibe to it. So, you know, you get that. We've had people approach us from um, different charities for us to help them raise money. 
that sort of stuff. And then you had the sickle cell awareness. So, yeah, it's quite the hub. And everybody tends to use us in that way, which, yes, it's good in a way because it brings the community together. But the negative side of that is that you've got a load of people hanging around and from the outside. It doesn't look like the sort of place you want to go into. Now, yeah. we don't have that... Um, that sort of exterior where you look on the outside and think, oh, I don't want to go in there. And <laughs> we're a lot more inviting. Yeah, I was there gonna, are, yeah. Uh, there are quite a few places that have that, you know, oh, I don't want to go in there sort of look. And yeah. that's what you've got to be sort of cautious about. Yeah, because so, I was going to ask you, has it changed over the years? And what you just said, that there, there, is, there, is, a, there is a change, like you've yeah, got the, people coming in, as the barbers become more professional and... And it becomes more of a business rather than uh, a gathering place. Yes, definitely so. We still have to educate our community. For a lot of um, uh, West Indian people, or even young black British people, there's no place they can get information from. So you've left school, you've left college, you're at work. Where do you get your information from? So normally, you know, it's the barbershop. So that there's been quite a few people that come in and when they've left they're they're like wow you know we didn't know you guys knew so much well we do a lot of reading do a lot of talking we're barbers so we communicate with our community and therefore we can help our community in that sense so like i said at the moment mental health is a big issue what um the nhs is looking to do I can't remember the, organize, the, the actual organisation, but they're looking to train barbers in, in different areas of London to be able to spot mental health. So people who have mental health issues, they, they, you know, they're going to make them uh, be able to spot them, put them forward and you know, help them get help. Same with blood pressure. So I myself uh, suffer from high blood pressure, so I'm using that as a as a reason for people to go and get checked so people get checked um like i said we have prostate we have mental health now where that's coming into play hopefully next year you know they'll start training us and um we'll be able to put people forward but that's just on the community side of things but we we're still trying to maintain a professional image and it's quite hard <laughs> so yeah. yeah if you've got a, a full shop and it looks unapproachable that's what we're trying to avoid so we you know we happen to kind of repeat ourselves quite a lot to small crowds rather than we're used to going to a barber shop before and couldn't find a place to sit down yeah yeah, yeah. that's quite off-putting but now it's uh, a lot more organized when i was younger my father used to cut my hair um but he never went into become a professional barber and my time in China, I basically, I was in a third tier city. So I just had to sort it out for myself, which is why, you know, I've got that, you know, as low as it can go. And I've just got used to it. I get up in the morning, I Shave take it down. all off. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's changing now over the years as more black people do come out to Asia um, in professional roles when I came out I was teaching in a like I said third tier city okay. um, that very few people have heard of Oops, and let me see 
Liyuengang. No, never heard. Yeah, yeah, it's halfway between Beijing and Shanghai. Okay, and there would be no chance of finding a a, a barber in two thousand and two. Much less a black one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and even、um, like Europeans coming out to、uh, China at that time, they found it difficult finding hairdressers. Really? Yeah, because Chinese hair is very straight. Yes. And many Europeans have curly hair, and the Chinese hairdressers just didn't know how to cut well, curly that's, hair. That's funny you should say that.、Um, I spent、uh, three years in、uh, Tottenham, which was Cornell, teaching like Turkish and Kurdish kids how to cut black hair, because again, they had no clue, and they wanted to learn because they obviously could see there's a there's a market.、Yeah. You know, you're in. That part of Northwest London is a large black community. You're a barber. Yes, they they cut their own hair, they cut their own people's hair, which is quite straight. So,、yeah. you know, they they wanted to capture the whole market. So I ended up teaching for three years a, you know, small community of of Kurdish barbers, and they're really good now.、Um, it's just the understanding of hair, and I suppose、um, that's what makes.、Uh, You know, some barbers stand out from others. So if you can cut hair, yes, you can cut hair. But if you're a professional barber, you should be able to cut any hair. You know, as、so、long as it's hair, you should be able to cut it. So、um, that's what I say. I say, you know, there's never.、Uh, we get lots of Europeans that come in specifically because of the way we fade. So、um, I've taught Europeans how to fade our way. I mean, there's a. A guy called Harry, can't remember his surname, but he does ego barbers, and he's fading the same way in which, you know, we fade, and producing a really good fade. So it's not that Europeans can't. It's I think they're more scared of us as people、yeah. rather than our hair, because hair is hair. And、um, the gentleman I cut before you came. He says he's been into a couple of、um, Singaporean barbers, and they're really scared with the comb. They don't want to comb it because、yeah. they're scared that they might hurt him. I mean, it's hair. You know, just the same as they comb a European person's hair, it's exactly the same as you comb a, a black person's hair. I mean, it grows literally in the same kind of pattern. The only difference is the texture. So you got to, you know, when I was teaching Europeans how to cut black hair. The question was, how comes it's so curly? And that's because that's you know that's in our DNA. So、yeah. our hair's naturally curly. If you want the hair to sit a certain way, you have to keep combing it because otherwise it will spring back up and go back into its curl. And once they understood that and they grasped that, they were away. So I mean, right now in South London, we've got a, a bunch of sort of. Twenty-two to twenty-three-year-olds who've got their own salon who were cutting hair as good as any black barber,、yeah. but they've been taught by you know someone who knows how to cut hair. During my research, I found that there's a a Chinese barber in Beijing,、okay. and he's done quite a few of the basketball players that travel out there, and I think he's done ten NBA players、wow. when they're doing their tours. And、he's supposed to be doing quite well, so yeah, it's a skill that can be learned by anyone. 
Well, yeah, anyone who, who has the passion to, to cut hair. It's something that you've got to... I, mean, I don't really want to sound cliquey, but yeah. you've got to have the, the passion for it, really. There's, I see people who cut hair just to get along, and it's not the same as someone who cuts hair because they enjoy mm. cutting hair. And, you know, my students that I had in the past, the first thing I always say to them is, if you don't like what you're about to do, don't do it. Because... This is something that, even when you want to get out of, you can't because people go, oh, I need a haircut. They're always going to need a haircut until they lose their hair. So, it, you know, it's a commitment. So if you're not prepared to commit, don't go in. That's interesting because um, before I moved out to China, I was a computer engineer, hardware computer engineer. And um, I made a conscious decision after a while not to tell anyone that's what I did because somebody would always come up to me and say, hey, I've got a problem with my computer. <laughs> Can you sort it out? I get the same thing. Like you tell someone you're a barber and it's like, oh, what can you do for me? You know, I, I tell them I'm a lecturer first. And then they say, what do you lecture in? I say, oh, barbering. And then it's, oh, what can you do for me? But yeah, it, you have to like it. You have yeah. to enjoy what you do. That's, I think that's the main um, emphasis I'd tell anybody is enjoy what you do first and then turn it into a career so for me it was an accident um, to prove a point but I enjoyed doing it and the more I did it the more I enjoyed so yeah I worked with um, a production company in 1997 for about three years producing a um dance program dance energy remember that no <laughs> with normski oh yeah i remember normski yeah, yeah i remember I used to normski do his hair. oh yeah yeah so yeah. i used to do all those little patterns and yeah. stuff before um each show yeah. and uh, the funny thing with that is they did the shows back to back so they did uh two weeks in one week and you had to make the hairstyle look totally different yeah. for the next week and that taught me a lot because then I, I, I learned to, to sort of be able to manipulate the style so he had he had the basic box frame and then he used to have the patterns on the side so every week they wanted a different pattern so I'd have to think the pattern ahead for the following week and um, keep the continuity as well so that was quite a, a learning experience um, I then went out to Bulgaria um, to the paper mill and did um, some hair there for a movie with um, Van Damme. That was another... That's Claude Van Damme. Yeah, yeah. that was a good experience yeah. as well. I did um, Gary Beadle. The name's he familiar. To, yeah, he was uh, Paul Truman in um, EastEnders. Yeah. So I yeah. went out there to, yeah. to, to cut for that movie. Uh, that was another continuity shot. That was pretty good just the experience of going out to a, a really big uh, studio and um, working with uh, professionals who obviously make up artists and stuff. You work closely with them. And that's, that was a, a different um, experience. One that I enjoyed, but I don't know if I could sit under those bright lights and, and work. But I, I prefer what I'm doing because it's a lot more freedom. In a barbershop, what was the craziest thing you've ever heard said? <laughs> uh, uh, we, we have um, 
barber client confidentiality, so yeah. I can't really go oh. into it. But I can say <laughs> I know more about my clients than probably their partners. So, yeah, a lot gets said in the barbershop. A lot. I mean, uh, there was um, a case where <laughs> a young gentleman was, was seeing a woman that um, another gentleman was seeing. So I was cutting <laughs> one of the guys <laughs> and my partner was cutting the other. And um, they were both talking about the same girl. Did and they know? No, not until the very sort of end of the, the two of those relationships with this girl because it went on for at least three or four months and they, they were coming to the barbershop literally almost the same time and, you know, they're, they're having the same kind of conversations and then we as barbers looked at each other and said, no, this is too similar. <laughs> There's something going on here. And then it... it, it yeah, they were seeing the same girl. So how does a conversation like that start in a barbershop? Well, the thing is, when you come to a barbershop, it's all about ego. So they've, all, they've always got this bravado and ego. So, you know, you, I suppose when, once you've got the clipper on you or the, the cutthroat razor, you feel compelled to, to tell a part of your life story. And uh, for a lot of, so especially younger guys, they, they like to, you know, say who they pulled on the weekend and that sort of stuff. So half the time you engage in the conversation purely because they're your client and you take little bits away and now and again they piece together and that was one of the ones that pieced together and it was it was quite a so quite a did dramatic, they know they, they knew it, they found that in the end yeah because we kind of we couldn't take no more of it in the end. Yeah. we said don't you think you guys are dating the same woman because they're both the same name they yeah. both look the same and uh they confronted that they phoned they actually phoned her from the barbershop yeah. and um, that was probably the the funniest thing that's ever happened in the barbershop so they phoned her and they confronted her she then sacked both of them <laughs> or they didn't sack her no she sacked both She's, of them okay. so, yeah she, she had the last laugh yeah um, like my sister does hair extensions okay. uh, which is a completely different area but you both work with like in the situation we're both working with people sitting down in front of you on their scalps mm-hmm. and um and i know i know a few other hairdressers and i do find that they seem to have a certain wisdom and does that wisdom come because you talk to people every day and you un- you start to understand how human beings operate yeah yeah because to be honest um when I first started cutting hair, I um, I'll never sort of have the conversations with normal people that I have now. Um, that's one. And two, I think over the, over the time, more people sort of, they, once they trust you with their hair, they also trust you with your judgment. So what I found myself doing was, uh, for instance, like with uh, blood pressure, prostate, um, sickle cell, as I was doing a lot of research so that if someone asked me a question I could provide them with an answer and um, now we have Google 
So even even now when we have conversations and we we go to Google as the last point because we want to see how much we actually know. And that goes between client and ourselves. And, it, you know, <laughs> believe it or not, a lot of people come and they learn more while sitting in the chair for half an hour, 45 minutes than they do if they went to school. And, um, yeah, just from that alone, they it kind of, yeah, makes you more aware of of even human needs. So you can tell people's character. You can um, sort of even foresee their, their circumstances. Like um, we've had quite a few people who've gone into relationships that have asked you for your advice and you kind of like, mm, do I? All right, well, here's my opinion. So this is my opinion. This is not... What you should do. Yeah, this is my opinion. So based on my opinion, this is what you should do. And um, they come back to you two or three weeks later and they say, oh, well, you know, I took your advice. No, no, it was an opinion. And uh, yeah, things worked out much better. So yeah, I do sort of find myself being an agony uncle, um, a a mental health um, guru, because uh, some people, because um, we, we have this strain of weed going around now that a lot of the young people are smoking and it's producing all sorts of uh, situations. Um, we've had a couple of people who have actually ended up being admitted into the local hospital because they started on this thing at a young age. Yeah. And we keep telling people that you're going to smoke at least wait until you're the right age when your brain can manage it these people no don't want to take your advice don't want to listen to you then they end up in the position that they are so we're able to tell other people look you know john had it this is what's happened to john make the decision so yeah you do find you have i mean i've been doing it for 30 years so i've seen people evolve from really clever to really stupid and you know in 30 years man has not progressed he's regressed (laughs) unfortunately he's just gotten thicker and thicker with um, all of your experience you looking to start a business in Singapore and maybe move on to other parts of Asia what would you advise somebody that would be following uh, in your footsteps not necessarily as a barber but looking to expand their horizons from say London or the UK uh, or even the US coming to Asia what what would you advise them to to consider like what I advise all my clients to do go see for yourself there's no point taking John's experience or Paul's experience or Peter's experience because every individual has a different experience as my gran used to say to me dog and puss have the same luck so I can come out here, I can be successful, someone else could come out and not be. But it's what you're prepared to do. It's what you're prepared to give when you, when you commit. So, yeah, come out, commit, do what you've got to do. If you fail, you always can start again. You know, if you're young enough, you can fail many times. You know, we, we didn't all grow big. You know, we eventually got to the size that we got with the experience behind us. So, yeah, come out, see for yourself. Okay, Elvis, uh, thanks very much.
No and uh, we'll keep in touch. No problem. Thanks. Thanks to Elvis for that great insight into his plans for the future of Singapore and the business world of black hairdressing. We wish him all the best. And if you'd like to know more about Elvis, you can follow him on Instagram at EBS748. That's EBS748. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.